that can never be spoken of too much or ever emphasized in our life as Christians is the gospel. Why is that? Because here's the thing. As you dwell upon it, it enables you to live a life of freedom. When you ponder this message, it, it, this message of the gospel of grace, when you ponder it, it recalibrates you to see and understand the world around you truthfully. As you go deeper into its message, it opens you up to truly care about people and really value them in your heart. This is why we must refresh ourselves in the gospel every day, for you live in a world that does not want you to live in the light of the gospel, that wants you to forget about it and see it as nothing. It doesn't want you to live freely. It wants, rather, it, the world wants you to live in the bondage of sin. It wants you to have false views of the world around you and really not care deeply for anyone other than yourself and your own personal needs above others. But when we live in light of the gospel, keeping the message of grace at the center of our minds, by consequence, by consequence it enables us to live in contrast to the world around us because Christ becomes the focus of our life rather than self. Christ becomes seen in us because we're looking at him and living our life for him. His ways, his thoughts, his approach to things, his interactions with people begin to play out in us all by consequence through understanding and embracing his message of grace. So our title then is keep the gospel afresh in your mind. So we're going to so as we look at our, our text of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 we are going to see how the gospel consequently brings change to our life through what Paul says here. And what he brings up today is deep and heavy topics of what true freedom in Jesus looks like. Because we're going to see him spotlight truly how Christ's finished works enables us to live and interact with the world around us in ways that we would not even expect or think that's possible for us. So let's look at our text and see how the Holy Spirit then speaks to our hearts and minds and comforts us in Christ so we can rest in him by faith. Now, real quick, for the context, I set everything up. Chapter 2, Paul has been speaking of this great love for his, his great love for the Thessalonians who are dealing with great persecution because they have faith in Christ. And he is now, and he is now spoken of, too, uh, that he was hindered from being able to come back to them. And now he moves on and says in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, when we, could know, when we could bear it no longer, we were, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith. Now, that might seem easy, like, okay, Paul just sent Timothy to help the Thessalonians, to help the believers in their faith. But when you analyze it, something really deep is really going on here through what he says. And this brings us to our first point. Keep the gospel afresh in your mind because it enables a life of great cost for Christ. See, with Paul sending Timothy, Paul was showing them, and us, showing them that he was willing to give up his most valuable 
and if I can put it this way, his most valuable resource for their betterment in Christ, even though it would put him in a seemingly disadvantaged and uncomfortable position in his current life state. Notice he was willing to go to the extreme for these people because Jesus was worth it. This is why he said, was willing to be left behind at Athens alone. I mean, what he's saying here is, I was willing to be abandoned alone in a foreign place, open to danger, to make life harder for me, all for your betterment in Jesus. I gave you my best by giving you Timothy, and I was happy to do so. See, though Timothy was just, you know, a normal guy, a normal young guy, he was a very great asset to Paul in his ministry. And Paul here reveals this to us by saying he was a brother, not just meaning a brother in Christ, but also Paul was saying that he was giving up someone that was a brother to him because of Christ. Even though Tim was younger than Paul, Paul saw him as his very own. I mean, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, uh, Paul calls Timothy my true child of the faith. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, Timothy, for I have no one else like him. Paul gave his best to these people because he truly cared about them and their faith in Jesus, and he wanted them to know that. He sent his brother, the closest person to him in his life. Then he also says of Timothy that he was God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, meaning that he saw Timothy not just as a valuable brother in Jesus and personal friend, but a wonderfully gifted person in helping even Paul the educated apostle called by Christ personally face-to-face, Paul saw that Timothy had a great gift in helping even him minister the gospel to people. This young man was truly a wonderful blessing to Paul, and Paul saw, saw how God was using him greatly to preach the word to people and minister to their needs above his own, even though Timothy wasn't of this apostolic status. So we see Paul here telling them that he, by sending Timothy, he sent his heart and his greatest resource in ministry to them so they can know Jesus more, even if it brings discomfort and hardship to himself. Them knowing Jesus was worth the great cost to him as he was willing to go the distance for them. Now, this is not normally what normally people do to, uh, to help others. You know, they don't normally give their best to people at the detriment of self. Typically, people help others out of abundance that they have. But once it starts to become a little costly to themselves, they stop and say they can't really help, especially if the people aren't related to them. So how could Paul then give up so much, per, uh, so much personal comfort and self-preservation for a people, again, who he was only with a few weeks, okay? Like, that was it. Well, it comes back to the gospel. This putting others above self for their betterment in Christ 
at personal expense is a natural freeing consequence of the gospel in our life. I mean, that is the heart of the gospel message when you think about it. God gave up his best for us at great cost of his son to die for us for our betterment in him. God, out of love for unworthy sinners, us, he gave his heart, his son, so that we could be with him forever. And Christ came willingly to put our needs above his own at great cost to himself for our betterment in him. Our spiritual welfare was more important to Jesus than his own personal comfort and self-preservation upon this earth. And the cross is the proof. And this is what enabled Paul then to give up so much for others. The gospel enabled him to see their spiritual welfare in Christ as being more important than his own comfort and preservation. That is why he sent Timothy and was willing to be abandoned alone in Athens. So what does this mean then for you and me? Well, let me ask, are you living a life that is costly to you because of your willingness to place others' spiritual welfare in Christ above your own personal needs and comforts? Are you willing to be uncomfortable and give up some of your own needs for Christ so others can know Him that much more? Or even more to the point, are you willing to give your best whatever the best is, to another so they can know Jesus? How much are you willing to give up of yourself, give up of what you hold dear, your time, your money, your resources, your materials, your comfort levels, that bubble that we live in? Whatever it is you hold on to for personal gain, How much are you willing to let go so that you can help others trust in Christ alone and see how truly free they are in him all by faith alone? In John 15, 12 through 13, Jesus says this, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down down his life for his friends. Great love for another means you allow great cost to yourself for others. Does your life reflect the great cost for the betterment of others in Jesus? Tough question. And it's a good question to reflect on for a bit. Are you living freely in the gospel by putting others' spiritual needs in Jesus above your own personal needs and comforts? Most likely not. We're good at holding back a bit or holding back more than we want to admit. I know I do, and I hate to admit it, but it's true. Even as a pastor, I struggle with this in my own home and in ministry. 
But before we sink in despair, <laughs> remember the gospel's good news. For we are not saved by how much we give up for Jesus. We are not saved by how much we sacrifice for him so others can know him. But rather, we are saved by what he gave up for us. We are saved by his sacrifice for us. The gospel's good news for sinners such as you and me. And praise God for his grace. For we could never give up enough to earn heaven or stay right with God to earn even one of the blessings of God. But Christ earned it all for you and me by faith in him alone. And he just gives blessing after blessing regardless of our undeservedness now. And here is the perplexing thing, but it's also comforting. If you try on your own to live a costly life so others can know Jesus, you will fail. And you will become bitter and angry if you do this in your own power. Living for others in a costly way is not possible on your own. You don't white-knuckle it. So don't even try, because I guarantee you, you will become discouraged and give up. You're like, I'm out. These people stink. Or two, you will become self-righteous and judgmental of others by doing it, by saying, well, look how much I give up. Look how good I am. What's wrong with these people? And this is why focusing on and being refreshed in the gospel is so important. Because as you think upon it, as you go deeper into it, thinking upon the great cost that was made for you, you will, by consequence, end up living in a costly way that helps others know Jesus. The Holy Spirit will guide you through his word and direct your heart on how to put others above yourself for Christ in whatever situation you are in, whether you're at home with your family or at work or while shopping or even in this church. The only reason why Paul could do what he was doing in this text is because his focus was on Jesus and what was done for him. The gospel was his driving force. So we too are to keep our eyes then on Jesus and his gospel of grace and let him empower us and guide us on how to put others' spiritual needs in knowing Jesus above our own above our own personal needs, all for his name's sake. Don't focus on what you didn't do in the past, and don't focus even on what you need to do, but focus on what has been done by Jesus for you, and you will end up doing the very things Christ has called you to. Now, through expressing this, this deep cost that he was willing to go through, Paul was willing to go through so these people can know Christ, Paul then dives deeper into another subject, a deep subject. So I'll read from at the end of verse 2 through verse 4 to give us an overview of what he says so we can take it apart. He says, We sent Timothy to establish and exhort you in your faith so that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this, for we were with you. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as come to pass and just as you know. And this brings us to our second and last point. Keep the gospel afresh in your mind. It affirms affliction for Christ as normal. Now, what needs to be pointed out is that when Paul sends Timothy to establish or solidify 
to exhort or comfort these believers in their faith in Christ, why they are suffering for, uh, by the world's persecution because of Jesus, we need to realize that Paul did not send Timothy with a five-step program on how to be a better you when people don't like you. This establishing and exhorting was not how to be a better person when times get tough. Timothy was not a motivational speaker to these people's morale to keep them going when suffering comes. He was not sent to give how-tos, but to declare what has been done in Jesus for them by faith. Timothy's goal, as with Paul, was to see that they keep trusting in Jesus by faith alone in what he did for them. That through all the pain and the trials and the persecution, through all the suffering because of Jesus, they are to keep depending upon Jesus' finished work, depending upon Jesus for everything. Because when Paul says here that no one is moved by these afflictions, that word moved basically means enticed to walking away from dealing with all the problems because of having faith in Christ. To say that suffering for Jesus, just not worth it. To give up identifying with Jesus by faith because the world's pain is just too much. Paul here in our text then is telling them or moves on to tell them why they should not be moved then by the afflictions. And his answer is deep and it's a little mind-bending. He says in verses 3 and 4, For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we are to suffer these afflictions just as come to pass and just as you know. Paul is saying the evil things that is, that is happening to them because God sees it as necessary for them in Christ since they have faith. We are destined for this. Paul includes himself with that. Now that's something to chew on. Persecution for Christ, being afflicted for Jesus, is part of the course of the Christian life. It is to be expected. It is part of God's will for you and me. Or put differently, it is strange to not be having afflictions come because of your identity in Jesus by faith in him. So no afflictions for Christ is normal. It's all part of God's great redeeming plan for for you and for me and for the world. Remember, the greatest evil that was ever done was the death of Christ. And yet, it brought about the greatest good for you and me and the world. It brought salvation. And that was all part of God's plan of, re- of redemption for sinners. Paul then presses this truth in heart in verse 4 when he says, For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Or to say it more directly, he's saying, This is a basic truth that we kept telling you over and over and over when you accepted Christ that the world was going to come after you for trusting in Jesus, for saying that he is the only way of salvation. But hey, don't fret, it's part of God's plan. Paul is telling them to encourage them in Jesus, to keep going, keep looking to the gospel. And this is why he says, this is why he is saying this suffering for Christ, this persecution is all normal. He reminds them again that he says, look, this not only happened to us when we were with you, and now it's happening with you now. And you're dealing with it, which is why he says, just as come to pass and just as you know. He's like, you guys are straight up dealing with, with suffering afflictions for suffering in Christ. Being persecuted for Jesus is normal, it's expected. And he says, look, this should give you more confidence 
that you're living in the freeing gospel message. Because the fact that the world was persecuting them because they identified with Christ reveals how truly free they are from the world's power. And the world was doing its best to move or shake them from trusting in Christ alone for salvation because it was losing. Now, what does that mean for you and me? Because I'm quite sure we're not being persecuted like or at all to the same intensity like these Thessalonians were. But Paul here says being persecuted is part of the course of life for you and me. The Bible speaks of this truth in lots of places in Scripture. Acts 14.22, through many trials, through many tribulations, I'm sorry, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says in John 15.20, remember what I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So for some of us, maybe a lot of us, you might be wondering, are we even Christian because your life's actually kind of good? You know, you can freely go to church. You can turn on Christian radio. You know, your job might not be out at stake because of your faith. You're able to buy food, do your hobbies with no apparent persecution. So where is this persecution if it's supposed to be the norm for the Christian life? Well, let's make something clear. Persecution doesn't have to be life-threatening. It doesn't have to be all up in your face, but it can be subtle, very subtle things in your life, like a simple mocking laugh at the fact that you trust in Jesus. You might think, hey, wait a minute, that's a little extreme. But I say this because the the Bible defines persecution in this way. It doesn't have to be big or dramatic. It can be very small, like a mocking laugh. If you look at Genesis Chapter 21, verses 9 through 10. Genesis 21, 9 through 10. Ishmael laughs at the promised son named Isaac, which Sarah birthed. It says in 21, 9 through 10, it says, But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. That's Ishmael. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And you might say, okay, so what? How is that persecution? When you look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 28 through 30, it defines that very moment of a very seemingly small mocking laugh as persecution. It says in 28 through 30, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, referring to Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, referring to Isaac. So also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of the free woman. So yeah, even mocking laughter or joking is considered persecution. So you might have been being persecuted all along and you might not have even realized it. But now you will. But here's the thing. This is a good question to ask yourself. Am I being persecuted at all? And I don't mean all the time. But does it ever come up in your life? I ask this because it's a good gauge on just how open you are with others about your faith. Not that it saves you, but it's more of just an honest assessment of how much of your faith you are sharing with others around you or is even known not meaning you're always telling them that they need 
that they need to be a Christian, I mean, which is good to do, constantly give them the gospel. But it's more of the fact for our context that you are making it known that you are a Christian so it can't be unknown. Not that you're sinning less, which please don't sin, don't, sin is bad, don't do it. But that's not really what was causing the issue with the world for these Thessalonians. Their sinning less is not necessarily the driving force of the persecution of the world. It was their declaration of their faith in Christ that was the issue. Their identity in Jesus, trusting him alone for their hope and joy and peace and freedom and purpose and, and, and meaning. It was this personal relationship with Jesus that somehow would always make it into their conversations and opinions and interactions that was causing the problems with the world around them. That is what I am asking you to reflect on. Is your relationship with Jesus known by the people around you? Are you someone who they identify as trusting in Jesus? Is that a defining characteristic of you if someone was to describe you? Or would they be surprised that you're a Christian if you told them right now? Because really, it shouldn't surprise anyone. And if you're not being persecuted, even in the slightest sense at all, or it's been a long time since any persecution has ever happened in your life, even in the slightest sense, and maybe you're being more persecuted because of your political beliefs as compared to Jesus, well, maybe it's because you're not making your relationship with Jesus known at all. You're making everything else known. Now, again, remember the gospel is good news. Because our salvation doesn't depend on how, much, how many people or know that you are a Christian. Praise God for that. The good news says just by believing in Christ is enough to save you. And you can rest in the fact that Christ knows you all by faith in him. And that church is what we can, take, we can rejoice in and take comfort in, knowing that Christ knows our name and he will bring us home even if we fail at everything that's stated here today, at those two hard questions. For he alone has fulfilled all the laws of God perfectly for us on our behalf. He came to save you and he accomplished just that when he said it's finished upon the cross. The only requirement that God ever has upon us is that we place our faith in Jesus. It says in John 8, John 6, 28, and they said to him, what must, we do? What, was, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's it. And here's the thing. The more you dwell on the gospel of grace, the deeper you will go into seeing how great your sin is and how much greater his grace is. And the more you keep afresh then the gospel in your mind, it, it will consequently begin to change you and begin to bring Jesus into your conversations and your interactions. Your relationship with him will be expressed more and more because your focus will be on him more and more and not on self. It just happens the more you dwell on this gospel of grace and how truly it is finished in Christ for you, all by faith in him alone. And that's what we rest in. So now we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Deacons, please come forward. And we take this supper as a reminder that it is finished, that it's all done.